Hey everybody, this is Doc Mack from the Galloping Ghost Arcade, and you're listening to Pie Factory. So welcome again, friends and neighbors, to another episode? Appetizer. Appetizer of Pie Factory Podcast. Once again, this is uh, Jimmy G. And this is Sean in your visage, Courtney. In your visage. Hmm. So... It's another it's another fun rollicking day here and uh so Sean what have you been uh, playing what have you been up to Um I I'm not going to say what I've been up to because I've said it many times and let's face it things get old and I don't like old well sometimes I do I mean I don't like things that get old um but what have I been like up yourself to? and me um, you don't like us because we both get old all right, all right. Here's something I I have to let out. Okay. Right. The past couple of weeks at work, I've been in meeting hell because of some huge projects we have coming up in the next year. We have all kinds of planning going on, and I it, it's bad enough that I have to sit through hours and hours of meetings. But in these meetings, I've repeatedly heard multiple people say verbiage. There's no such word as verbiage. Doesn't exist. There's no okay. word called verbiage. It's verbiage. Verbiage. Either say that or use a different word, like say, oh, I don't know, text <laughs> or words. Eh, words. Speaking of yeah. getting old. Uh, so that's that's been my my headache of of late. Oh. And um, I no uh, no new edition of Sean's drinking arena, but I'm drinking something I don't think I've uh, had a drunken before. Drank it drunk Drink. before. And uh, my wife usually gets me these little bottles of uh, fresh lemonade from Whole, Whole Foods. They're mm-hmm. really good. Ha- most of the time, they're really, really good. And I didn't finish mine with supper tonight, mm-hmm. but I also need a drink to help sustain me through the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I filled the rest of the small bottle with that. Oh, what the heck is it? Uh, oh, what's that purplish pink stuff that you don't like? Uh, not pink. raspberry. Uh Blackberry mm. with blackberry ginger oh, ale. Yeah, yeah. So let me see what it tastes like now. And it tastes like tangy blackberry ginger ale. Yeah. So here we go. There you are. And let me see what else. Um, Line get. I spent about. Oh man, how long did I? Sp- I was at Underground Retrocade this past Saturday. No, it was the Saturday before this past Saturday. And I was there probably from about 2 p.m. until about 1 a.m. And well, except I took a dinner break. Oh my god! I told I mentioned before there's that new pizza joint. Yeah, you on, were saying about that. Like I, I actually had pizza again there. It wasn't like pizza delivered for a party like last time, but this time I sat down, had their pizza. Oh my goodness! It was, it was like insultingly good. Wow! Insultingly Seriously. good. Yeah, it was so good it was insulting. Oh, it, yeah, so you fi- felt uh, bad for wood, other pizza joints, huh? Yeah, wood wood fire pizza at the corner of Second and Main in West Dundee. Holy good golly, it was amazing! Hmm. Oh. Next time I get up to Underground Retrocade, I'll have to yeah. try it. Hopefully, I'm going to yeah. get up there before the end of the year. But the way things are going around here around the Goble household, you never know. So, well, I'm going to be going there at the beginning of the month, actually, because gee, I'm why is be- that? Doing Extra Life, Ew. the annual Children's Miracle Network fundraiser, where you play 24 hours of video games, except I'm only going to be there 12 hours, maybe a little bit longer. 
And uh, I'm going to do a little bit of gaming at home the day before and finish off the 24 hours the following weekend at home. Mm-hmm. And the there's a link in the uh, show notes to the fundraising site. Uh, it's piefactorypodcast.com slash extra life. And I'd love to get some donations to that. I'm trying to reach at least 500. I think last year I got 1,000. I think the reason I got that much last year is because unlike this year, I actually remembered <laughs> to plug it. Mm-hmm. This year, I did not. It's like, oh my God, it's Oops. creeping up on me already. So you hear that, peeps? You can use your help. Yeah. I will live stream as much of it as I can. And uh, while oh, while I was up at Underground Retrocade, I got some Mr. Do tutorials from the visiting Bruce Widmer from uh, Minnesota. Mr. Do too. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of which, uh, is it okay if I uh, open up Addenda and Errata? Um, sure. No, okay. No so, better time than the present, I guess. All right. Uh, hide, cue up the uh, scattered frog uh, music. <laughs> Thank you. All right, because the Addenda and Errata that I have goes back to episode 16, actually, oh. which is when we talked about Tinkle Pit and Mr. Do. There's one thing that I don't remember ever mentioning, mm. and that's that, uh, do you know what causes the letter monster, the alpha monster, to appear? Well, I know when you eat the fruit, it causes it to appear, but then it just yes. sometimes or appears whatever the, randomly. Whatever the I bonus think. thing in the middle of the, because it's not always a fruit. Well, yeah, the, the prize thing. Yeah. You eat the prize thing, or sometimes, I believe, if you've lost a life and then you, you start the maze again or start the wave again, one will come out every now and then. Okay, every now and then is what I was looking for. You know when every now and then is? When? Every 5,000 point increment in your score. Oh, really? I did not know that. That's one of the things that Bruce pointed out to me. Because, I mean, this this dude is freaking insane with Mr. Do. Like, he he can, I think he scored like two point some million on it on Galloping Damn. Ghost when he was here. And so at my request, he gave me a Mr. Do tutorial and he pointed that out. I was like, oh my God, really? So 5,000, because there'd be times when I'd be up at the top of the screen and then hmm. all of a sudden the letter monster comes out and kills me immediately. It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? And <laughs> that's why, because it, it turned over to the next 5,000 points. Interesting. So you can use that to your advantage. And oh my God, Bruce is just a maniac with Mr. Do. Like he has these, he doesn't really use patterns. He doesn't like, he doesn't have like board patterns or everything. Mm-hmm. But he has this way of when you eat the bonus prize and mm-hmm. the uh, letter monsters come out, he has this digging mini pattern in which he can land an apple on three of the letter monsters at one time, every freaking time. And you know what happens? Like if you land the, if the apple lands on the monster, dead center of the monster, the monster is going to eat the thing, mm-hmm. the letter monster that is. Right. So he has a way of making it just a tiny bit off center so that it hits them off center. And so they don't eat, they don't eat the apple. It actually kills them. He racks up up the points so freaking fast. And, uh, man, and he has this method of like making some kind of like indentation in the dirt. And I, I wish I could explain it because I tried replicating it and I just couldn't. And he showed me these other things to do. He's like, well, it doesn't look like you're really ready to do that yet. So let me show you something that I used to do. And damned if I could even remember that. But I know that when I walked away from uh, Underground Retrocade that night, I had improved my personal best by about 115,000. Nice. Just from a tutorial from 
Bruce Widmer. And then, then I showed him some tricks on uh, Donkey Kong because I think he was looking to get like a hundred and some thousand on a small handful of games and Donkey Kong was one of them. So I showed him, uh, cause I, I've gotten, I think my highest on Donkey Kong is like 135,000. Mm-hmm. So I showed him things that I do that sometimes work really super well. Mm-hmm. And, and I showed him the little point pressing trick on the, uh, ri- uh, the rivet stage. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, ho- I hope he's doing okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and I was, and just for fun, I played some Ms. Pac-Man Turbo cause I hadn't really played that in a while. And I was just on a roll. I think I, I almost went 300,000 before I lost my first life, but wow. it didn't, co- didn't come anywhere near my personal best, but it was still fun. And I showed Bruce a few tricks on there too. So, um, yeah. And it was just overall really, really good time. And, uh, can't wait to go again on November 2nd and, and I had a, a hotel room booked over at the uh, courtyard Marriott. So I don't have to drive back home right uh-huh. after my eyes blaring out. Mm-hmm. And then Bruce mentioned to me, he's like, Hey, did you know, there's like this thing across the street. It's, it looks like an Airbnb or something. It's like these lofts. So I looked them up and I actually saved a dollar 12 by going with them instead. So, and it's right across the street and too. It's, and so it's right you across the gas. street. Yeah. The only thing is they don't have a pool or hot tub like the courtyard by Marriott, unfortunately. But the thing is, my wife was like, well, really, honestly, are you even going to have time? I was like, I guess not. But hey, I saved a dollar 12. Ka-ching. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That dollar 12 can get me one drink at McDonald's. Does there still a dollar then with the tax? Well, they're not going to run out of uh, drinks uh, because of me. So let's not worry about that. Could buy you a White Castle. No, oh, <laughs> hell's to the no. That's the only thing worse than McDonald's. I have to be in the mood for a White Castle or drunk, one of the two. But yeah, and I live down the street from a White Castle. Or some people call it White Crap Hole. Oh, I like that. I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> use that. Yeah, the White Castle down the street from me, they had a, it was listed on, back when I tried geocaching, like mm-hmm. probably about nine years ago, and I couldn't find the geocache. In fact, I think you actually looked for it too at some other point. Yeah, I think I, rem- I remember that, actually. And I couldn't find the damn thing. I will say this about White Castle. Their breakfasts are really good. I mean, Burger King right now has um, kind of a waffle sandwich, but it's like like it, it's like it's a roll or something with like waffle indentations in it. White mm. Castle's waffle breakfast sandwich is an actual waffle. A small waffle, but it's an actual waffle, and it's really good. Ah. Might want to give that a shot sometime. Kind of like their equivalent to, say, the McGriddle, but without all the extra stuff? Pretty much, yeah. So it's worth a shot. You might want to try it. You can get it with sausage or bacon, with egg, cheese, whatever. It's really good. But anyway, some people might be wondering what I'm doing, but then again, probably not. But I'm going to tell people anyway. Any arcade pickups? Coin-operated video game stuff I just got. Well, uh, there was this cute little ginger, but, you know. Hmm. But I'm married, so that was a no-go. But what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I bought a game for the Switch today. And I was playing it a little bit. Now, first of all, I got to get new Joy-Cons for the Switch because it, they're suffering from the all-too-common problem of uh, controller drift, which when you're not touching the thing, the uh, characters will, like, move in a little bit in a little bit in a direction. And there's actually a class-action lawsuit got going on right now to get Nintendo to really? replace them for free. Yeah. So um, it wasn't a monster beagle that... No. Uh, 
chewed up your your Joy-Con yeah. and left and when your wife left it in access of the Beagle. No, 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 not okay. at all. But uh, I got this other controller that I bought. It's a wired one. It's a USB. I originally thought it was a um, just a regular USB controller for the PC or whatever. Because yeah. it was just a USB and it was like in a bin with a bunch of other things. I'm like, oh, I'll buy it. And it didn't work. But then mm-hmm. I did some research online. I'm like, oh, this is for the Switch. So I took it downstairs. Well, it works, but one of the uh, one of the direction sticks just doesn't work properly. So, but yeah. I bring it up because I bought a game today. It's a chibi game. It's called Untitled Goose Game. You heard about this thing? I don't think I did, actually, no. Okay, basically, <laughs> basically you're a goose and you're going around the town and you're just being an hold of people you're like screwing their day up uh, in the in the scenario i'm in now i gotta break into a garden and steal all of the farmers uh the farmer's lunch and his radio and put and, and uh, have a picnic out by the lake put it on a blanket out there um there's a scene later on where you gotta sneak your way into a bar and cause havoc in the mm. bar you pull things around uh, one of the buttons is your honk buttons <laughs> you just honk at huh. people and scare the hell out of them so far it's so far it's really pretty fun i guess it's not a very long game but uh, i'm having kind of a fun time with it as much as i can with the controller problems that i've previously stated but um that's a game worth looking at hmm. but other than well, that thank I'm you playing... for sharing that oh well, well you're welcome other than that i've been playing some more fantasy zone on uh on the master system still trying to defeat the game i did that when i originally owned a sega master system i'm getting so freaking close to it but it just like i just keep messing up but there, there's that going on and other than that I haven't really been playing a whole heck of a lot of stuff because I've just been way too tired and got some other worries in the back of my mind and that. But, um, eh, here you go. But what are you going to do? There I go. What I'm going to do is I'm going to record a podcast. There it's you are. It's called Pie Factory Podcast, episode 103. I believe. Is it 103 this time? Uh, I don't know. Oh, let me see. It is 103. Uh, it's 103. Woohoo. All right. So, uh, do we have any shout outs? Greetings directed towards specific people. Uh, yes, yes, we do. Um, Timmy Mack, for thank, thank you so much for that really kind email you sent us. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, in fact, you know, let's let's share that email with uh, our our loyal listening our, audience, our, our loyal and disloyal audience. Uh, I hope disloyal for their own good. Dysfunctional hmm. listening audience could be, could be. Uh, let me see. Uh, he says, "Hey, Sean and Jim." I just wanted to send you both an email to let you guys know I love the podcast and thank you for all you do. Thank you so much, Tim. I've chatted chatted to you via Twitter and sent feedback to audio biography of Schnook. Hmm, don't know about that. wonder if that's any relation to autobiography of a Schnook, hmm, which that's a podcast I enjoy. Uh, anyway, hey, get, getting back to Tim's uh, email here. The show has made me try a lot of games I probably never would and remember forgotten ones. Games like Time Pilot, Mappy, Cubert's Cubes, and Gyrus have become games I revisit often. I learned about you guys through Ferg's podcast. Thanks, Ferg. Thank you, Ferg. Uh, which, Flurg? <laughs> Flurg. That'll be my name for him now. Which led to a love for Atari, having missed out on it growing up. Oh, man, that sucks. You inspired me to get my own 7800 and start to collect for it. Whoa, yeah. what is that? Uh, I really enjoyed the 100th episode and the off-topic ones as well. I've dealt with really bad anxiety, especially over the last few years, and listening to you guys has always made me smile. Sorry for the jumble of thoughts, but I mostly wanted to say thank you to you both. And Well, thank you, Tim. It's, so it was definitely. very kind of you to say all yeah, that. Thank, thank you, Tim. And I just want to say that um, you know I, I've been very, very open and honest about my uh, 
my struggles with the, with depression and mental illness. And I will say this, I do like to make people laugh. And I've, if I've made you laugh and forget, you know, if, if we really, if we've made you laugh and forget, especially you know, unintentionally, problems, especially unintentionally, then, uh, you know, that, that makes, I, I don't know about Sean, but that makes me feel good. If I've, if, oh, yeah. you know, if we've made you laugh, yeah, I'm sure I, it makes him feel good too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm speaking for Sean. So. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, Tim, I followed up with Tim and, uh, gave him a little bit of uh, 7,800 advice that hopefully works out for him. Um, that's, it's my, just one guy's opinion, mind you, someone else might, might disagree with me, but I don't know. Oh, speaking of 7,800 and I'm just reading your response to his email here. Um, <coughs> I don't remember saying that. Oh, well, a uh, 7,800 SD cart is, is uh, coming along and it might be here sooner oh. rather than later. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. I'm sure that once it's released, uh, we will definitely announce it on the podcast here because Sean and I are huge fans of the 7800. Oh yeah, and we've actually made we've made other people uh, we, we've encouraged other people to get 7800s, and as far as I can tell, no none of them have regretted it. So yeah, it's it's a great little system. It is sorely underrated. It is my favorite console. It is, you know what? It's mine too, and, and I think mostly due to the the very active homebrew scene. That and also it plays twenty six hundred games, so hey, I don't need two different consoles to play. Unless I mean, you're ex- unless you're one of the un- got one of the unlucky mid uh, release. Oh consoles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My I have two, two or three seventy eight hundreds actually. They're all like one of the. They're all from like the latest batch, so they play everything. Mm-hmm. And I do have a uh, Sears Heavy Sixer that I love dearly, though. Just simply be, if for no I other grew reason, because this thing is freaking gorgeous. I grew up with a Sears Heavy Sixer. I, I just you, you gotta, gotta love the silver panel on the back with the word oh, "telegames" in the gr- in the green digital letters above the cartridge slot. Yeah, yeah, because I, I I got a really good deal on one from uh, eBay a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and then using our friend Keith's advice, I used some uh, Armorall cleaning wipes. Not the Armorall that everybody freaks out over. Says no. Do that, but the cleaning wipes and holy cow, it made this thing freaking shine. I was like, Whoa! Like, I did an initial cleaning, like with uh, dish soap and water, rinsed it off, and uh, after it dried, I tried the uh, the armor all cleaning wipes. And oh man, they they did such a good job with yeah. that thing. Oh, if you really want to piss off a diehard, hardcore Atari 2600 slash video computer system uh, fanatic. Uh, tell them that you're using armor all on your console yeah, to clean it. Yeah. <laughs> there was a whole huge oh, threat man. on that Atari age on on Atari age years back. Yeah, uh, we're we're not responsible for any physical damage that occurs N- to you, so or anything <laughs> else for that matter. Speaking of Atari age, real quick, uh, Portland Retro Gaming Expo is over, and I guess they had a huge display there. And as um, usual. Yeah, and I would love to see them come. I'd love to see Atari Age come back to the Midwest Gaming Classic. We were there yeah. with them several years back. And um, 2006. Albert, Albert's a great guy. Yeah. And, All right. Do I need to say what I said, uh, what I say every year when it comes to Portland Retro Gaming Expo time? Hmm. I know it? that I've seen Al comment about how the reason he doesn't go to Midwest Gaming Classic is that it's too far. Yeah. Um, Milwaukee is much closer to Round Rock, Texas, where Atari Age is headquartered. Than in Portland. Yeah. Just saying, by just about, saying. By about a minimum of 1,200 miles. I mean. Minimum. I mean, come on, Albert, we miss you. Are you going to make us cry? Oh, come on, Al, Albert, come on, see what you did to Jim here. 
Okay. See what you did I, to, I, a, to I, someone I'm, I'm who's used Atari Age longer than I have? Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, because I only started in 2001. I think you were on it for longer than that. I think Because you I told was. me about it. I think I may have may have actually been on there at the tail end of the Nexus once it once it, when it switched over from Nexus to Atari Age. I may hmm. have been. I, I vaguely remember that. Ah, and we also there's also some feedback we might want to address from uh, one Robert McNally Rafferty, longtime oh. listener of this podcast. Oh yes, yes. He says, yes. Uh, "I hear you about Amiga collecting now." Oh man, I'm getting sad already. <laughs> I remember getting a 1084S. Uh, that's a stereo monitor made specifically for Amigas, but it'll work with just about like anything with RCA ports, really. And a 500 for twenty dollars in two thousand. Oh my god, I'm going to interrupt his message right here and say that's about right. That's about right because that was uh, right about when I got my four thousand. I got that used. I got uh, I got a really good deal on a four thousand actually for five hundred bucks which was a huge chunk of change for me back then because I was only making 10.25 an hour as a uh, magazine editor but still I th- I I loved it and it was worth the investment but man trying to get rid of my 600 that was a that I think I was lucky to sell that thing for 20 bucks I think thing is if I bought a system now it would be just as unplayed as my other stuff so better left in the past I think we actually talked about that little anomaly there <laughs> Um, emulation of the Amiga is good enough for me. Um, and I might have to agree with, uh, Robert on that because I got to just deal with the fact that I, I'm not going to get an Amiga for a decent price. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be able to. So I probably might consider doing the, the win UAE thing. That's the universal, uh, Amiga emulator. Um, it's really good. I mean, I remember when emulation was all the big rage before, and the thought of emulating an Amiga was just laughable, quite simply because the way the Amiga was built, mm-hmm. instead of having just one master processor, it had the master processor, the 68000 series, and it had all these other sub-processors, one specifically for graphics, one specifically for sound, one specifically for graphics memory, one for fast memory, one that operates the hard drive, one that operates the floppy drive, and it just basically farmed out everything to the other processors so you could have like say a 50 megahertz 68060 processor and the performance of your computer of your amiga would be just right in line of whatever the current pentium was at the same time which was at a much faster rate and because of all those chips that would have that you need to emulate back then it wasn't possible to do but now with the power that computers have it's very easy to do so that's probably, I'm probably going to look further into uh, Amiga emulation, especially if I can emulate the new operating systems. I had thought at one time of getting like a Raspberry Pi to emulate both the Amiga and the Atari ST, just those two systems, and getting an old used um, like Atari ST case or a broken one for like a few yeah. bucks and just popping it in there and see if maybe I can finagle the keyboard to work with it or something. Just as, oh, I'm sure as it can project. be done. Oh, I know it can be. It's just I'm not... I I can't do electronics. I'm sure though at Atari age I could find somebody to help me out with it though. In fact, I know I wouldn't be surprised if there are adapters for both. You, there there might be. There very well you might just be. Just plug the ribbon in, and you know, might even and, be like a USB adapter you could get for it too. And uh, Doctor Rafferty goes on. I'm assuming he's a doctor because he didn't tell us he's not. So um, he goes on to say uh, looping. He talks about looping, which we talked about in the uh, previous episode. 
I played it a dozen times at Fun Spot and more in emulation. I just can't seem to get the knack. I really want to like this game because I don't know of any others like it that have the same feel. I, okay, I want to suggest, yeah. and this just crossed my mind right now, I want to suggest possibly two tigers. Yeah, the only difference is two tigers doesn't have a joystick to rotate you up and down. Yeah, yeah. Two tiger, yeah, two tiger. I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. Two tigers does have the same control system where you're controlling an air, a similar control system. Yeah, and it's much more fun too. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, so I gotta, yeah, Robert, just 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 play just play tw- two tigers. Yeah. I now I got a hankering to play two tigers again. Is that all the feedback we got? We you know, I think that's all we got. I think that might be. So yeah. Do we have any arcade news? Recent stories about places where you go to play coin-operated video games. Uh, Galloping Ghost got a couple of more games since we last talked. Yeah. Uh, one they just introduced was Ikari Warriors 3. Um, I can't remember the subtitle. But I don't I know think I knew Ikari Warriors 2 existed. Yeah. Ikari Warriors 2 Victory Road, which I had 1 and 2 on the NES. And then there's 3, which, like I said, I can't remember the name of the uh, the subtitle. I don't know. So there we go. There we go. So shall we? Uh, what shall we do here? Here's what we should do. Test about coin-operated video games. Oh no! All right, so I got ten questions for you, Jimmy G. So you ready? No, but that hasn't stopped me before. Good. Okay, number one. How many possible moves can a player make in Karate Champ? Sixty-four. Yeah. Oh, so close. Twenty-four. Oh. I don't what like old West themed arcade game starts with a cuckoo clock? Wild Gunman. I'll give you another guess. Banku Panaku. Yes, Ooh, a Banku resonant Panaku. ping. Banku Panaku. What Bally Midway game uses a rotary controller for a Hialai style gameplay? Uh, what Bally Midway game uses a rotary controller? Yes, for J Hialai style style. Like you're playing high ally, but you're using a rotary controller. Mm, Kickman? Yeah. Oh, no. Nope. Nope. Sorry. That's going to be Discs of Tron. Oh, uh, Discs of Tron. Okay. Next. What type of game is Lunar Lander? Boring? Um, I'm going to have to give it a... <laughs> I was looking for crap, but I will accept boring. Oh, okay, uh, awesome. What what was the name of the game in which the player controls a jet-packed astronaut who avoids meteors and tries to destroy the boss character before getting sucked away by the boss? Oh, you said sucked the sucked away. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Pay attention to the. Uh, I know this one actually. It is. Yeah. Um, this preposition oh, can geez, change it's everything. It's a Namco game. I'm pretty sure it's a Namco game. Oh gosh. I, I can't think of it. That's too bad because it is Space Sucker. Space Sucker. Oh, Space Sucker. Okay. And next, what is the one and only arcade game credited on the marquee to a company called Toby Comey? Big Bob's Meatballs of Fun. Almost. Almost. It's Fix It Felix Jr. Fix oh, It Felix Jr. Okay. Uh, next, within 100,000 points, what is the current Twin Galaxies high score for the arcade game at Cube Quest? 5,624. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to, yeah, accept that because, uh, there isn't a high score 
currently on ah. Twin Galaxies, so um, that kind of counts. So that is within 100,000. Sweet. And uh, the, the eighth question, what is the main processor used in the 1983 Diatech game Uncle Pooh? Uh, 6802. Yeah. Ooh, no, I'm Z- sorry. Z80? It's the Zilog Z80, but can't give it to you because, like, you already submitted your answer. Oh, wow. Uh, next, what famous video game company in August 2004 released an arcade cabinet containing Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., and Mario Brothers? Nintendo? Yeah. No. Oh, no, no, it's Arcade 1-Up, is it? Yeah. Uh, no, it, Namco, actually. Really? Really? Yeah. Oh, well, how did that happen? I don't know. All I know is that's the answer. There. And uh, finally, Nintendo did license Popeye to Atari for overseas distribution, so. Well, yeah, and of course to uh, the uh, Taiwan Cooper Company as well, so. uh, Oh, that's true. That's true. Well, well, we don't know if it was licensed officially, but I don't know. He did Uh, beat up uh, Olivia. Anyway, the uh, heroine of the arcade game Baraduke is the ex-wife of what video game character? Dig Dug. Uh, will we accept that? Oh, come on. Come on. Give me resonant ping. Te- technically, hmm. Here, I'll give you and one Mr. of these. And Mr. Driller is their son. There, I'll give you a muted ding. Because, yeah, they, but the, but his actual name is Taizo Hori. Oh, that's right, Taizo Hori. So, there we go. Uh, Hori. So, not bad. That was, what, 90%, I think? Uh, might be. Yeah, all, all right. right. Uh, cool. Well done, well done. Splendid. So, so, uh, so shall we, what should we do now? Should we talk about some games or should we get some biscuits? Oh man. Um, let's get some biscuits and talk about the featured games. Analysis of selected games. Which one are we going to talk about first? Which one are we going to um, do first? I don't know. I, I, I wasn't given the, uh, the agenda. <laughs> the agenda of the new world. Oh, I'm not going into my <laughs> impersonation. <clears throat> no. Oh, hell no. In fact, hide uh, that out. (laughs) Bleep out the mention of. We don't want to give him any attention. No. And uh, actually, here I'm gonna I'm gonna make an executive decision. I say we go with turtles first. Turtles. So, so Sean, tell us all about turtles. Aha, turtles. Turtles. Aha. Yeah. Well, it was released. uh, Excuse me. That was released just now. It was released just now, but Turtles was released in North America by Stern in December of 1981. But it was originally made by Konami, and it had the title 600. That was the name of Konami's version of it. And Sega also had a license to the same game, and uh, they called it Turpin. T-U-R-P-I-N. Turpin. And before I get into the gameplay, I'm going to talk about the control panel, which is an ambidextrous four-way joystick right in the middle of the control panel. It's by. And on E... No, M by. M- oh, it's M by. I'm sorry. Yeah, and it goes four ways. <laughs> and... That's actually pretty funny. <laughs> there are two bug bomb buttons, one on either side. So you can play left-handed, you can play right-handed. So, uh, yeah. And so, anyway, the way the game goes, for those of you who haven't seen it, which I trust is actually surprising a lot of you, uh, but first you get an opening animation. There's a turtle outside of a building and the turtle kind of looks up at the top of the building and sees a bunch of other turtles. And I have to say the, the little tune that plays during that uh, opening sequence, it's a, it's quite a lovely jaunty tune. Oh, you didn't have to say that. There's nothing forcing you to say it. Actually. Yeah. I'm under contract. 
Oh, for God's sakes, that stupid thing again. <laughs> but anyway, that's what happens. You get an opening scene and the turtle goes through a little doorway. And then you are presented with a floor arranged in a maze. And uh, you basically control the mama turtle through eight of those floors in the building while being pursued by beetles. What a shame, Mary Jane had a party. B-E-E-T-L-E-S. And each maze, each floor has eight mystery boxes. They're all labeled with question marks. Can't get enough of you, baby. Yes, it's true. And Mama Turtle has to examine each mystery box. How does she do that? She does that by simply walking over them. The box will most likely contain what the attract mode screen calls a kid turtle. If it's not a kid turtle, it'll be another beetle. And if it's another beetle, you have to move away from that thing immediately or else you lose a life. And there are seven kid turtles on each of the first four floors and eight on each of the fifth through eighth floors. If the box contains a kid turtle, then the kid turtle climbs on Mama Turtle's back and then a house just appears in one of the four corners of the floor and you must go to that house and deposit the kid turtle. If it's a beetle, of course, like I said before, get the hell away, and you now have a new additional beetle that will be chasing you in the maze. Once all the kid turtles are brought home, you have to bring them home one at a time. You grab one kid turtle, you bring it to the house, then you go get another, etc., etc., until you get all the kid turtles rescued. And then you go to the next floor, and you repeat the same thing over and over, and every two floors, the maze layout changes. And uh, Mama Turtle is given three bug bombs at the beginning of the game, and a bug bomb acts basically like a landmine. You place a bug bomb, and if a beetle walks over it, the beetle temporarily freezes, allowing you to cross over it without getting harmed. And uh, the other beetles cannot walk over it, so that can be a very strategic move there, uh, placing a bug bomb. It's very lock and chase-esque. I am biting my tongue here trying not to make the obvious joke, so let's just go right on record here saying... I'm going to saying it until you bite your tongue out. Let's just, let's just say right here, right now, that we are not going to make any jokes about John, Paul, George, Ringo, or Pete Best. Tomorrow's gonna be, tomorrow's gonna be, tomorrow's gonna be another day. So, what about Stuart Sutcliffe? Seeing as I have no idea who that is, I guess he's fair game. Good. Okay. So if Stuart Sutcliffe were to play this game, which he can't because he died in 1962, he would notice that there's frequently an asterisk looking thing in the middle of the maze. Shows up a lot, actually. If Mama Turtle walks over that little asterisk thingy, she gets three additional bug bombs. And as far as I can tell, there's no limit to the number of bug bombs you could build up. So that's the um, general... Gameplay. Uh, once you clear out all eight floors, there's a little happy animation at the end, and you start over again with uh, the first floor, and you just keep on going until you lose a life. Your stupid wanker git. It continues until you lose all your lives. And uh, I mentioned before that there were two other similar games. The original, of course, was called 600, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Some of these are very superficial differences, some are not. But at the very beginning of the game, the animation, the building has the letter P on it near the top of the building and the word Konami above the entry door. In 600, the Mama Turtle is not pursued by beetles, but by race cars. And instead of bug bombs, you have energy. And at the bottom of the screen with your vital stats, 
you're given an energy bar, and every time you use the energy, your bar depletes. The energy is basically the same thing as a bug bomb. If a car runs over that energy pod or whatever it's called, it freezes in place and you can go over it uh, without any harm. And what's interesting, something I noticed is that as your energy bar depletes, the energy bomb lasts a little bit shorter. So basically, like if you use, say, four energy pods, energy bombs, whatever, Mm -hmm. the time that a car is disabled is much shorter the fourth time than it is the first time you use one of those things. So Hmm. that's that's a fascinating feature. And with every new level or every new life, the energy bar gets uh, replenished. A big difference between 600 and turtles is that you don't rescue the baby turtles one at a time. You actually rescue all the baby turtles first, and then you deposit them. An exit appears on one of the four corners, and you just deposit them all in one fell swoop. You cannot deposit them individually in this variation. And also, just like with turtles in 600, when you go over a mystery box, you'll expose either a baby turtle or another race car. But the race car that you expose actually is faster than the rest of the cars on the screen. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have an additional enemy, but it's also going to move much faster. And there's one that is insanely fast. And basically, if you don't have enough energy left to uh, drop one of those little energy bombs, you're toast. You're toast. Now, something that I noticed that was uh, that actually makes a huge difference in terms of aesthetics is that when the maze changes every two floors, actually it might even be more frequent in 600, not only does the layout change, but also the texture of the walls and the colors of the walls change as well. Then there's the Sega version of the game, which is called Turpin. It's basically the same exact thing as Turtles, where you're being chased by beetles, but at the very top of the building, you see the letter P, just like with 600, and the entry door has the word Sega above it, whereas the Stern version, called Turtles, of course, the building has the letter S on it, but no company name above the door. As for scoring points, if you pick up a kid turtle, you get 100 points. If you release a beetle or a race car, depending on which variation you play from a mystery box, you get 80 points. When you bring a kid turtle home in Turpin or Turtles, you get 150 points. In the game 600, if you bring all of the kids on the floor home, you get 150 points. That's one of the few downsides of 600. You only have one opportunity per floor to get 150 points. If you bomb a beetle or a race car, depending on the variation, you get 50 points. So there we go. Um, I should point out, you mentioned earlier, uh, Jimmy the G, the uh, happy little tune at the beginning of it. Um, I'm guessing that the folks at Konami did not write any of the music. I'm guessing it's all basically public domain stuff that they borrowed because I noticed a few songs Like, uh, during the regular gameplay, you'll hear Old Grey Mare and Yankee Doodle, among other songs. I don't know what the other ones are. Yeah, I did notice that, actually. And uh, when you finish a floor, the little uh, floor transition animation plays Mary Had a Little Lamb. Yes, I did notice that, yes. So that's uh, music right there. If anybody knows what the other tunes are... You can uh, reach out to us on the social mediums or email us at uh, piefactory at fab4it.com or piefactorypodcast at fab4it.com. There are some home versions. This is probably, I think, the most fascinating thing that I found in my uh, research for this. Uh, The home versions is probably the most popular one, their most well-known one at least. 
is the version for the Odyssey 2, or as they call it in uh, places outside of North America, the video, video pack. pack. And that version actually received a certificate of merit in 1984 at the Archie Awards, the fifth annual huh. Archie Awards for best arcade to home video game slash computer game translation. If you uh, look at the screenshots and videos of it, it really is a good translation of it. I have seen the seen the video of it. And it's it's weird because people think that the, the Atari 2600 was very limited and primitive. The Odyssey, too, was even more limited and primitive, but they oh, were yeah. able to pull off some really good stuff with it. But when it came to converting arcade titles, I don't know if you've... We talked about uh, Popeye, I believe, yeah. on the Odyssey, too. In fact, I believe Atari Visions did a episode about that. Popeye on that thing is like... I guess it's still a fun game, but it's like... It bears little resemblance to the arcade game just because of the technical lim- limitations of the machine. Yeah, from what I understand, it plays really, really well, but I've seen the screen caps there. It's just not, no. You'd never know you were looking at Popeye <laughs> unless somebody told you. So there was that, uh, the Entex Adventure Vision. You ever seen one of those things? Only in catalogs. Okay. I believe that's the little, else uh, it had like LED. Um, yeah. LED, like little red LEDs and... Um, the Defender on it, just from the shots that I saw in the catalogs, actually looked pretty impressive for what they had to work with. Yeah, they also had Super Cobra for that as well, I think. And yeah, it's really weird. They use this thing called a spinning mirror to basically generate the frames, and it looks really... It's like a constant flashing or something. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird. It's it's uh, all red LEDs and things, but... Uh, so Turtles was on that, and Turtles was also on the Emerson Arcadia 2001. And in Japan, it was available for the Casio PV-1000 console. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. And I think there was a computer that Casio had out in Japan that was compatible, theoretically, with the hardware that was on the PV-1000, but none of the games worked on it. Hmm. So uh, I think that's what I'm thinking of. And uh, there's an Entex handheld game. Entex also made a really nice Pac-Man LED game, and the Turtles game is pretty much the same thing, but you play Turtles instead of Pac-Man. Entex was pretty prolific with the handheld um, LED uh, game systems. Uh, my brother had a uh, Entex. We never got the Mattel uh, football, but we had an Entex handheld uh, football game, which was actually really, really fun. Oh, really? Yes. Mm-hmm. It was, was, really it the, was it the kind of blippy thing like the Mattel? And- no, but the the, uh, the the LEDs actually looked well, kind of like football players. And there was there, really? there, you like you saw the arm. Actually, it was it, it was more like an like a, what did it look like? I'm having a hard time remembering because it's been so long since I've seen it. But it had like two sides on there to represent arms, and then it had a round one in the middle. And the round one in the middle, if you had the ball, it was lit up. Hmm. Uh, it was really, really fun. I remember it, it only played 10 yards at a time, but uh, it was good. It, it actually presented a challenge, and it was fun for two players, and I liked it. Yeah. They were very well, prolific with that stuff. And here's how prolific Entex is. They also released a Turtles board game. No kidding. I I had no... I didn't know Entex even did board games. I but didn't I either. Looked up, I read about that, and I did a search for that, and I found there was someone has one available on eBay. And they're asking like 69 bucks for it too. It's apparently has all the pieces and everything intact. I'm not going to get it though. I am not going to get it. Um, so uh, Jimmy G, where did you first see and or play turtles? Well, the very first place I ever saw turtles. I'm thinking. Judging it, from what you say, it's Brooklyn. Well, mm, close. Uh, the putt putt golf and games on Essington road in Joliet. 
Oh, that's right outside of Brooklyn. Yeah, right outside of Brooklyn. No, actually, it's closer to Manhattan. Actually, to, oh, to that is other. true. Yeah, yes. it's about thirty miles from Manhattan. Yeah, um, that far from Manhattan might not even be that far. But I don't think it's that because far. that's on the west side of Joliet, and Manhattan's way all the way on the you know east or southeast it's like of southeast, Joliet. Yeah, so it's like kind of the total opposite side of the city. So it could be thirty, maybe closer to twenty-five. It, yeah, considering that Kankakee is thirty-five miles from there, and from yeah, it might be closer. Joliet, so yeah, it's but yeah, it's be closer to Manhattan closer. than it is in Brooklyn. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I played it there first. Hmm. This I think is also another game I would probably consider a laundromat game because I I can see that I yeah. have no I've seen this in laundromats over time, and uh, it just has that kind of vibe to it. It's it, it's not any sort of a. Now, there's no real definition. It's just some sort of a vibe that you get from the machine. It's like a, yeah. a graphical slash, what you know, graphical slash, an audiovisual vibe. You know. Hmm. Interesting. Well, <laughs> I the first time I saw slash played this um, game was actually at Galloping Ghost, and I think it was in December last year when uh, uh, Victor Marlin and Sean Holly were here. Oh, really? That was that was the first time I ever played it. I always knew of its existence as long so they, as it had been around. They introduced you to Toitles. No, I introduced myself to it, actually. Ah. I was like, you know what? I never played this game. Let me try it. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. Uh-huh. And the more I played it for this episode, the more I liked it. I liked it a lot, but I don't love it. I don't love it. I know that I'm not fully done discussing this game, but I'm still going to give it my rating. I'm going to rate it th- a solid three out of five continues. Yeah, it's a three that I can I I can absolutely see myself coming back to it, and the thing is I'm not going to sit at it all day and play it like there are some other games I'll sit at all day and play like say uh, Centipede, Mister Do, Cubert, Cubert's Cubes. Yeah, I I like this game myself, and but to be honest, I think it's a little on the hard side actually. And, oh, it is, and I have a hard time getting past the first level. Mm. Yeah, it it took me several tries too. Yeah. And uh, what I didn't mention is you do get an extra life every 5,000 points, ah. at least with the with the default settings. I never got beyond two extra lives. Ah, I see. I've gotten to level seven, but I never cleared level seven. I've never or made it past seven. level two. Hmm. I have a hard time getting past level yeah. one. It's it's incredibly hard because the, the enemy beetles seem to move like a totally random. I can't oh, pick yeah. up any sort of a pattern. And I mean, they will go after you, but yeah, there's there's but you can't predict where, like how they're going to go after you. There was one time when I was convinced that they don't follow you into the mystery boxes, but they can. Oh, they do. I've had that happen way more than yeah. once. Yeah, yeah. I just I, if the difficulty was eased up a little bit, maybe have one or two less beetles on the first screen. I think that uh, this this game would definitely uh, rate a four for me. Really, a little bit hard. If if huh. if the difficulty was just toned down a little bit, because it just plops you right in. There's yeah. just like no buildup or nothing. No, I'll tell you what might bump it up closer to a four, if not a solid four for me, is if the control scheme wasn't so weird. Oh, like have you noticed the the mechanics when you move? No. Like there are certain times it's. I think what happens is it measures where you are in terms of like some kind of grid layout. Oh right, right, so, like, right, right. I've, like if you don't continue going, like if you hit the joystick up, for example, but you haven't crossed over into the next theoretical grid In, space, right? You're gonna you're gonna turn back instead of going up. Yes, yes, like, I have oh, noticed man, that. That's so annoying. I've lost many a life because of that. 
Yes, I have noticed that. That is totally annoying. Oh. I totally agree. And that's probably why even the high scores are so low. Like, for example, uh-huh. the Twin Galaxies record held by Dwayne Richard um, as of December 31st, 2002, 65,000. Wow. Yeah. And interestingly, I found when I looked up the score in Twin Galaxies, the graphic that they had, the little, uh, like they usually have a picture of like, of like uh, a flyer or something. Uh-huh. The graphic they had was actually Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles instead oh, of just turtles. But this is most definitely a score from turtles. There is no question about it. When you it. do a search for this game, you got, you, got, you got to put in a minus teenage or minus ninja. Yep. Yep, or, I did a minus teenage when I did my search, but I don't know if Twin Galaxies search engine has that feature. But it, might uh, it was easy enough to find. The Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E, um, high score is only 35,550. Wow. Which was performed May 17th, 2019 at Galloping Ghost by Andrew, I'm going to guess this guy's last name's pronunciation, Ivashko, I-W-A-S-Z-K-O. And if you pronounce it phonetically, it's Ivashko. Phonetically, if you're Eastern European, uh-huh. like many Chicagoans are. That is true. That is very true. Or maybe it's Awazko. I don't know. But I'm going to guess Ivashko. So, um, yeah, that's uh, my little take on titles. Take uh, on what titles. About, do you have anything further to say about titles? Not really. I mean, it's it's a it's a cutesy game. It's just it's just I think way too hard for the I don't know for. The, the difficulty outweighs its cutesiness, I guess, hmm. is what I'm saying. I mean, you see a little kid, oh, it's a game about turtles. So I, played, I lost all my life in 10 seconds. You know. And little kids, I don't think a little kid's going to see, see, oh, it's about turtles. And then they're going to, I don't think that kid's going to like it. I don't know. Kids like turtles. Yeah, I like that's turtles. True. Thinking about it, if you're sitting a kid in front of a game and you give them turtles or frogger, you know, based on water living, air breathing creatures... Frogger's more accessible to a little kid uh, than turtles. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They're gonna go. They're gonna reap. They're gonna play Frogger over and over and over. They're not gonna play this one over and over. Oh, by the way, neither um, Orcade.com nor Twin Galaxies has an entry for 600 or Turpin. Well, actually, I take it back. Um, Orcade.com does have an entry for 600, but it doesn't list any locations or scores, uh-huh. which tells me at one point there was a place in its database that had it at one time. Or else, why the heck would it have been mentioned at all? That's true. Unless it's just a placeholder, maybe? I don't know. It could be. I can't rule that out. Maybe you get the list from a main list or something. I don't Um, know. What do you think about turtles, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, Pie Factory at fab4it.com or Pie Factory PFP on the Twits and whatever else have you? We are the Twits, but that's... Well, yeah, that's why I use Twitter. Or are we the Gets? I don't know. Are we the lion gets? I don't know. Lion gets. I don't know. Okay, well, shall we go on? Let's go on to another featured game review. Not enough to exist long day. New invaders are destroying... Oh, sorry. Um, We're going to talk about next... uh, Aha! Peter Packrat. Ah, Peter Packrat. Aha! Peter Packrat. And where did my notes go from? Here it is. Peter Packrat, uh, copyright 1984 Atari Games, even though it was released in 1985. Mm-hmm. Not sure why, but there you go. Them's they the they might have like came up with the idea in 84. Well, the copyright remember, says 84. So yeah, who the cop- copyright by law is basically a placeholder. The creator's property as soon as the creation happens. True, true, true. 
True. So they could have created it like before they released it, which is often the case, especially if it was late in the year. Well, as far as Peter Packrat goes, uh, it's a it's a raster game. It, you know what? I'm not even going to bother to say raster anymore. If it if it's a vector game, we'll let you know. Just assume raster. Yep. Until such time as we say vector. Oh, I'd love a Vectrex version of this game. Uh huh. Not sure if sarcasm or. Anyway, the uh, controller is an eight-way joystick, and it's got a trigger to jump and a throw button on either side of the stick. Uh, the throw buttons also are your one-player or your two-player start buttons, just like uh, other Atari System 1 games like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but yeah, it's the same sort of thing. The object of the game, the object is to collect items to take back to Peter's home before the time runs out. Some of the items include bottles, watches, hats, balls, and cans. Balls and cans. Anyway, um, a round ends when all of the objects are taken back to Peter's little house on the screen. And you can see where his house is because there's little outlines of the objects he's got to. Was that about outhouses? What? <laughs> outhouses, balls, and cans. So in his house, there's outlines of the item, different items you got to collect. Uh, when you start the game, there are four difficulty levels you can select from, and that's easy, medium, hard, and good luck. You'll need it. No, it's just good luck. Your enemies are Riff Rat. He's a, a, a rat that uh, walks anthropomorphic. Well, you do too. He's a rat that uh, walks straight up and he's wearing a purple hat and a purple overcoat. Kind of like something Prince would wear. Um, huh. Of course, he's also got some minions. The Rats of Flatbush. Ah, it's a gang thing. Uh, Claude the Cat. Claude spelled C-L-A-W-D. Ah, I see what they yeah, do. Scrapper the Bulldog. Because he's a scrapyard dog. <laughs> Sticky the Spider. Slugger the Bat. Big Al the Alligator, and Diamond Jim the Snake. Maybe I should call myself Diamond Jim for this episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and there's an owl called Night Owl. Of course there is. I remember Night Owl, owl was on Channel 32 in Chicago back in the 80s. It was an all-night oh, yes. video the, text program. Yeah, system. the computer thing. Yeah, I loved that. I would stay up late purposely just to watch it, even though it was boring as hell. Just back then, it was just so neat to see something like that. But I digress. There are three different screens, uh, sequences, a junkyard, a sewer, and a tree, but the levels are different and more complex as the game goes on. Also, in addition to collecting the, the items you have to collect, there are other items you can collect to, to pick up to throw at your enemies. And any of the flying animals, if you hit them with one of your items, uh, you can actually get on top of them and fly around the screen, which is a huge help in this game because it'll get you through some uh, some different obstacles and whatnot that you would have to contend with. So keep in mind with so. that. And also, if you throw your one of your items at some of the uh, some of the characters, that item will come back to you, but sometimes you'll have it'll just drop and you'll have to go get the item. You can only throw an item if you've got one of them. And I don't uh. I, can't, I couldn't tell you what they look like. Just look like a ball and like a little block or something. Maybe it's a brick. But um But um so that's the game in a nutshell. Uh I couldn't be arsed to figure out the scoring on this because uh, oh. I couldn't really find any information on it. But um, first of all, one thing I got to say about this game is the animation is really nice in this game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Graphically speaking, this game is it's just got really an artistic touch to it. And there's a reason for that. Oh, the graphics and animation of the game were created by one Debbie Hayes. She previously worked as an animator on the movies Watership Down and American Pop. So, yes, an actual animation artist who has a couple of big movies to her name 
actually worked on the animation and graphics for this game. So that explains oh. the animation. The animations are so awesome. They're a little cutesy. I love the the dance that uh, Peter does at the end of a level. That's so that's really really cute. I, I really like it. But apparently, there are only 160 Peter Packrat standalone games produced from the U.S. Uh, Atari's U.S. factory, and there were 538 conversion kits for Atari System One games produced. Did a little looking into that. The Onion AV Club says that only 500 units were ever sold. So. Do whatever you want with those, uh, with those numbers. Okay. Uh, and some of the levels are, some of the object placeholders actually look like things that Atari considered inappropriate, and they dropped the objects out of the game, but they didn't actually remove the outlines. A couple of them being uh, a pack of cigarettes uh, and a lighter. Huh. And yeah, I can see why you wouldn't want that in a game. Yeah. The game crashes on level 58. Oh, Nice. Uh, level 57 has no enemies, and the last few levels leading up to level 57 actually have fewer and fewer enemies, and th- that makes the end levels actually really, really easy. So I'm assuming there's some sort of algorithm or some sort of mathematical issue that causes the crash at 58, and it also has to affect the enemies. But yeah, I found that interesting. And uh, there actually was a limited release soundtrack album released for the game from Pony Canyon slash Cytron. I was going to say Skitron, but no, it's probably Cytron. Ah. And there were very, very few ports of this game. They're only on computers. It was the Commodore 64 in 1980. I did not know there were any. Yep. The Amstrad CPC and the Sinclair ZX Spectrum in 1989. Ah. So I'm going to have to look for an emulator for the Commodore 64 to That's check craziness. this out. So that's it for Peter Packrat. Some people will be very thrilled to hear that, by the way. That's it for Peter Packrat? Yep. Uh, Gee, I wonder who. And the thing is, like three weeks ago, I would have been one of those people. Yeah, I can understand. I can understand. Now, first of all, I do have to say the first place I ever played this game was at the Chuck E. Cheese. Really? Okay. In Joliet, Illinois. (laughs) I played a game about a rat at a restaurant named after a rat. Huh, that's a yeah. little bit meta. It is. So uh, I did play a it there. A little bit rock and roll. And I didn't care for it. And I've played huh. it off and on over the years, and I didn't care for it. Uh, I started playing <laughs> it quite a bit more in recent weeks for obvious reason, and I'm actually finding myself liking this game a little bit more than I had in the past. Hmm. I hadn't really paid any attention to the animations or the artwork of the game previously, but uh, the more I looked at it, there's a lot of really cutesy touches in this game. Not cutesy in the funny sense, but in the like kind of adorable sort of sense, I guess. Uh, like the Peter Packrat's dance, the way he walks is kind of neat. Um, as far as the audiovisuals of this game, I have to give this one big negative, because there's a point in the game where it's obviously Peter Packrat is whistling, even though I don't think there's a... I haven't noticed him actually doing a graphic, but you can tell it's supposed to be a whistle, and it is so off-key. It's so out of tune that I just like my it, uh, it grates against my uh, it's it's grating. Let's put it that way. It's uh, it, it's great. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Something that's grating isn't great. Figure that out. Oh, so ooh, that's that's kind of uh, interesting too. But yeah, uh, otherwise, other than that, I mean, there's nothing to really complain about audio visually with this game. It's just that the play it can get a little hard, but once. And this is something I never knew when I played it originally. Once you figure out that you can throw an item at a flying creature 
and you can fly it basically around the, the around the screen with very little in your path, that helps out the gameplay a lot, and that's actually made me um, reevaluate this game somewhat and like it a little bit more. That because that adds a nice, uh, I don't know, it's it adds another dimension to the game. I guess maybe is the way to put it. It's a big help to, <laughs> to do that too, but. Um, I don't know. I think I've said pretty much everything I need to say about this game. Um, I don't know if this is what I'll keep going back to, but I don't dislike it as much as I used to now. And uh, I'll, I'll, I will play it from time to time at this point. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? I'm just going to give my rating now. Anyway, it's like we did oh. before, before we did the high scores. I'm giving this one a three. I also am going to give it a three, but the thing is, it's a much positiver three than it would have been before because... I too, I used to hate this game, but I found that if you stick with Peter Packrat and just really get a feel for what the mechanics do in certain parts of the screen, Mm -hmm. which of course, back in the eighties, as a kid, I wouldn't have had that chance because, you know, I, I I had maybe a dollar to spend and that was it. But now, now that we have emulation, we have play all day arcades, you can spend as much time as you want. Once you get a feel for the mechanics, it's not really that bad. Yeah. I mean, there's a few there's a few things that take a little getting used to. Like I found out just today when I was playing, there was on the second screen, uh, there's a place where I, I just kept slipping and then sliding down like a diagonal passageway. Yeah. Uh, come to find out, you got to look because the, um, the ground is green. And in that screen, in the cave sequence, if you're on the green ground, it will slide you. The, the green ground acts like ice. On the first screen, it might it might have been on a later screen too. I don't remember, but like every junkyard screen, if you see like a pole that's dangling, if you walk on it, it like kind of uh, vibrates up and down, and you can jump on that thing and uh, jump across the screen. Also, in the cave screen, there's like a series of pipes. I think in later levels that gets on up more on more screens too. But it, there's like a series of pipes you just go back and forth through, and there's like a bunch of different openings, and you'll eventually find yourself. Um, like in different locations in that area, which, uh, again, takes a little getting used to, but, uh, you know, that's another thing you have to deal with. Let's put it that way. I did notice I was playing it, and I didn't put cheats on, but I did kept keep continuing, like, in a normal way mm-hmm. on this game. And the second time I got to the cave sequence, there's, like, an area of the pipes you got to duck in and out of and eventually get into a room, you know, where you got an item you got to take back to your house. On the second time you get through the cave, there's a similar area, but if you walk on top of it, the, the roof collapses in, and you can just go right down to it, which I thought was interesting, which makes me wonder how many more different little uh, tweaks to the gameplay are in the game further on. But mm. um, I am definitely going to put cheats on this game just to see it crash at level 58. Oh, that'd be really cool. So, Because uh, I want to see that. I didn't actually put cheats on for either of these games this time when I was playing them. Hey, you know what? I, this is totally off topic, but I think my one of my next goals is see if I can get the the, uh, the kill screen and fix it, Felix Junior. There's a kill screen in that. There's an intentional kill screen. Oh, I got you. Like at level yeah. two fifty six or something. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, it's you don't have to play it for that long to get okay. it. But but yeah, Ooh, I mean, because it seems like I mean, it seems like the kill screen in uh, Peter Packrat seems kind of early, but then again, it takes a long time to clear a level. Yeah, and you know what? In the time I've played this, I have not actually been close to even running out of time to collect the stuff. It's uh, The timer seems to be fairly generous in this game, at least so far. I don't know what yeah, it's I, like later on. I also didn't run out of time, but then again, I seldom stayed alive terribly long. I mean, I did finish the first level, so mm-hmm. that's something. For the first time in a long time, actually the first time ever I finished a level was 
prepping for this episode. And by the way, this game really, Peter Packrat, is basically a much more graphically watchable version of Bagman. It's a more sophisticated version of Bagman, indeed. Indeed it is, actually. It, when I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. And then as I was doing further research and reading reviews and stuff on the game, it, a couple of other uh, reviews actually compared it to Bagman as well. In fact, uh, the AV Club, I believe, did compare this to mm. Bagman. And uh, I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. I'm like, yeah, you're actually right. It, it's a more what do you sophist- mean actually right? You're actually right. Hey. Was like, I remember one time, some years ago, like at a job I was working, they had us uh, work at the Bud Billiken parade and I had sunglasses on. And one of my coworkers said, you know, you actually look cool with those sunglasses. I was like, what do you mean actually? Actually. That's a lot. Well, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Peter Prackat. Pratt, Pete, Peter the Pratt, whatever. And, and one Just, thing I did notice about, about this game. Stupid game. One thing I noticed about this game, if you look, huh? if you watch the attract mode, it just says Packrat. It doesn't mm. say Peter Packrat. That's on the That's marquee. right. Yeah. It just says play Packrat. So it makes me wonder if they uh, added the Peter later. Good night, everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, hey, how about high scores? Yeah, how about high scores? Well, for Peter Packrat, let's see. Let's start with Orcade.com. Again, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, pronounced Orcade because the... Original owner was named Oric, but anyway, Oric Goldfinger. It looks like um, a gentleman named Mike Lukianoff has the Orcade.com high score three hundred and seventy thousand nine hundred and thirty-two, which he uh, got at Magfest Eleven Music and Gaming Festival, I believe is what that is, on January fifth, two thousand thirteen. That was the first day of Magfest that year, I believe, and that was at the Gaylord National Convention Center in National Harbor, Maryland. Ooh! Now this is the fun thing here. The entry on Orcade.com says, and I quote, these scores were attained using the above settings. So what were the settings? I don't know, because if you look at the settings description in the entry, it says, and I quote, no settings available. (laughs) So I guess using no settings, that's how you do it. But uh, there's another one listed, and this was uh, Mazis Hagopian, and he scored 699,512 April 2nd, 2018 at Galloping Ghost. Uh, this was under a different entry with actual settings listed. Three lives with a bonus life every 20,000 points. And if we flip over to Twin Galaxies, it shows Jeff Peters as scoring 910,857. How? How? And that was um, submitted on March 20th, 1986 and verified via a referee. So some it, that tells me somebody actually watched him play live. Yeah. How are people doing this? Drinking a lot of Red Bull? In 1986? Maybe they had a time machine? Well, that's... Uh, I, I can't who knows rule they that out. Who says they didn't invent the thing? Oh, I, ca- I cannot rule that out. Yeah. Science! <sighs> well, are we pretty much done then, t- tonight? I guess so, yeah, yeah. We already talked about our raise. We already yeah. talked... Uh, I first... By the way, I first per- purred... Purred it? Pre- I... Prayed it? I, I first... I first saw and played... Peter Packrat at the Galloping Ghost Arcade. I it's it wasn't terribly recently. It was a few years ago when I first mm-hmm. played it. But yeah, and nothing significant to say about my first time playing it or any other times playing it. But just when playing it to prep for this episode, I realized it's not really as bad a game as I had thought. Yeah, really. If you give it a chance, if you just take the time to f- get a feel for it, it's not bad. It's actually it can actually be kind of fun. And riding one of the flying animals in the game really changes up the gameplay. Yeah. It makes it a lot more fun. Yes, indeed. 
Huh. I've heard some people say that there's like bugs in this game, but uh, other than the spider, I can't. I've ne- never encountered any. Oh, oh well. I don't know. I think that's it for tonight, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's it for tonight, for at least for me. And uh, before we go on, um, we should thank our Patreon sponsors, um, whom I am going to read off in thanks according to the penultimate letters in their last names. So I thank the following for generously financially supporting us here. D. Alex, thank you. Rory Coleman, Underground Retrocade, Richard Grounds, Air Shack, Steve Steiner, Kyle Etter, Lance Endres. Again, if I pronounce your name wrong, I apologize. Atari Bites, Richard Valdez, Tim Foley, New Balance Stores Phoenix, PJ Steele, Art Guglielmo, Christian Williams, Nate Lockhart, Greg Polander. Actually, oh crap, that's that. Oh, he should have been between uh, um, Air Shack and Steve Steiner. I am so sorry, Greg. Uh-oh. Uh, I'll put you in the correct order next time. Uh, Franco Dragon, thank you. Kurt Musgrave, thank you. And if you would like to uh, also be thanked and uh, throw in a few bucks to help support us a little bit, uh, we can be reached on Patreon, and you can listen to our booth announcer at the end of the episode give you more information. And again, thank you so much, everybody. And everybody else who didn't donate, thank you anyway, because, hey, if you're hearing this, it means you're listening. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you'd like to donate, but uh, to a much better cause than just some guys doing a podcast, there's uh, Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. I'm playing uh, for Lurie Children's Hospital, which is a division of Northwestern Memorial here in Chicago. And that'll be the Extra Life Marathon, www.highfactorypodcast.com slash extra life. And I will link that in the show notes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Jimmy G, uh, do you have any closing remarks? Or predictions for, say, in the next episode. Okay. Are we going to announce a theme? Oh, definitely. Definitely announce a theme. Well, we forgot, though, to mention the theme. And uh, tonight, we really don't have a theme. Uh, but <gasps> We don't? No. This episode is actually <sighs> dedicated to our good friends over the pond, the 10 Pence Arcade Podcast. Because yeah, we know Cheerio. they love these games. So it's like, you know what? This is for you guys. This is for you guys. This, this is for you guys. Lying Gets. Lying Gets. Resonant Ping. Yeah. So anyway, uh, this is uh, Sean in your front of your head, Courtney. And this is Jimmy G. And, oh, should, uh, I have, we, should I have Hyde make me sound like I'm actually being recorded over the internet instead of separately? Ooh. Hmm. Just to make it sound a little bit more Tenpensian. Let Hyde decide that. Yeah, Hyde, if you can yeah. pull that off, give it oh, a shot. Oh, we didn't mention what our games for the next episode are. Oh, do tell. Yes. We'll be talking about, and email us if you got thoughts on these. I'm a little saddened to not hear from Eugenio this time, but I'm sure he'll correct that very, I'm sure he'll correct that soon. Well, he was busy. He had to go to uh, PRGE. Oh, that's right. He did, didn't he? That's right. But uh, next episode, we will be talking about NBA Jam and Atari football. Oh my. Yes. And people know me. I'm not a sports fan. (laughs) So this is going to be a, next episode is going to be a fun one. Yeah. They're all fun though, aren't they? Really? Oh, please. Yeah. Especially these two. Yeah. So, at any rate, goodbye, everybody. Good night. Have a good time. And uh, there you go. Botanical Garden. Ooh, awesome. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. 
opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. All right, because the Adenda and Arata that I have goes back to... Oh, crap. Where do I have it here? Oh, mother of balls. I can't find it. Uh, I put it in here. What the hell? Oh, here it is. Okay. That goes into the outtakes.